Today we are facing some of the greatest challenges of our lives, from our health to political unrest, the environment, financial uncertainty, and the nation's racial divide. Welcome to Bill Myers Inspires. My idea for this show was to invite guests and get the conversation started, to take a deep dive into the issues that impact our world with an eye to exploring solutions. And we encourage our listeners to look within themselves to take decisive action to make a positive difference. Welcome to Bill Myers Inspires. I'm your host, Bill Myers. And today we are talking about the need for transparency in the upcoming Ahmad Arbery case with former prosecutor Joyette Holmes. And before we get uh, going, I just want to uh, remind the audience of the Ahmad Arbery case. And this description comes to us from Wikipedia. Um, and the uh, title of this article is The Killing of Ahmad Arbery. On February 23, 2020, Ahmad Marquez Arbery, an unarmed 25 year old black man, was pursued while jogging near Brunswick in Glenn County, Georgia. Arbery had been pursued by three white residents, Travis McMichael and his father Gregory, who were armed and driving a pickup truck, and William Roddy Bryan, who followed Arbery in a second vehicle. Arbery was stopped, confronted, and fatally shot by Travis McMichael. The Glenn County Police Department said the Brunswick District Attorney's Office advised them on February 23rd to make no arrests. The Brunswick District Attorney's Office denied that such advice was given to the GCPD by the either Brunswick District Attorney or her assistant district attorneys. On February 24th, Waycross Judicial Circuit Court Attorney George Barnhill who had not yet been assigned to the case, advised the GCPD that no arrest should be made. Barnhill officially took over the case on February 27th. On April 2nd, Barnhill again advised the GCPD to make no arrests while announcing his intention to recuse himself from the case due to connections between his son and Gregory McMichael. Barnhill requested recusal on April the 7th. The case was ultimately transferred to the Cobb County District Attorney's Office, the fourth prosecutor's office to handle it. And as we pick up this story about the case being transferred to the Cobb County District Attorney's Office, which was the fourth prosecutor's office to handle it, I welcome today my guest, um, uh, Ms. Joyette Holmes Esquire, formerly appointed as the district attorney and prosecutor for the Ahmad Arbery case in Cobb County. Georgia breaks her silence. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, the Ahmad Arbery case in Cobb County, Georgia. And Joyette breaks her silence on the importance of transparency, allowing the justice system to fully review all evidence and details surrounding the case without interference and emotion. Let me tell you a bit about Joyette Holmes. She is a trusted and resilient public servant 
who has served the Cobb County community faithfully as an attorney, judge, and catalyst for criminal justice reform. Through Holmes' legal career, she has been most notably known for her uncompromising excellence in her representation of the court system, no matter what position she served in. Her many accolades speak to her character, integrity, and high ethical standards, all qualities that led her to her rise within the legal profession as a trailblazer. Joyette Holmes Esquire would become the first African-American and woman to serve as chief magistrate, judge, and district attorney in Cobb County. Please help me welcome my guest today, Joyette Holmes. Welcome. Thank you so much. It's my honor to be here with you this afternoon. Uh, the invitation was graciously given. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And, and so I was just reading um, actually a, a, the, the Wikipedia article called The Killing of Ahmaud Arbery, and I was sort of setting that, that up before you came on. So, you know, Joyette, I, I believe that the best thing for me to do is to back up all the way and have you set up this story, because I think it's very important before we get into the, the gory details, as it were. I, I think it's really important so that we have an understanding, and I don't necessarily trust Wikipedia's read on this, but you would certainly know more about that. And so if you would just tell us about this incident with Ahmad Arbery in your own words, and then we can take it from there. Okay, so, you know, of course, Ahmad's murder happened in February of 2020, but we would not fully know what happened until May of 2020. Um, you know, it started off with the parents being told that a homeowner uh, killed him when he burglarized a home. And it wouldn't be until early May that a video would come out detailing the moment of his death. Uh, which for anybody is excruciating to see, should be excruciating to see, um, and only imagining what the family had to go through, knowing what was out there. Um, of course, we would come to learn that he was chased through the neighborhood and shot in the middle of the street. Um, our office was brought into it, and I say our office, the Cobb District Attorney's Office in Marietta, Georgia, that's where I served as district attorney at the time, mm -hmm. um, was brought in as the fourth prosecutor to handle this case. Certainly there were things that happened leading up to that appointment that caused not just us as onlookers, uh, dismay, but the attorney general for the state of Georgia who made the decision uh, to appoint the Cobb County DA's office and myself to that case. Uh, of course, I knew that, or I did not feel like there was a choice in whether our office should accept that case because I knew that we had the resources and the talent to get justice for Ahmad Aubrey for his family in that community. And so we did take on that task to be the prosecutors in that case, worked with the Georgia Bureau of Investigation to get the evidence that had previously been collected and additional evidence to move the case forward through grand jury and indictment. And of course, um, as the news has shown, it's prepping for jury selection um, middle, early to middle of next month. Mm. So, so why... I, I guess the, the part of the, the story that that, uh, that you have outlined so far that, that 
kind of makes me a little uh, make, makes me want to ask this question. Why was this the fourth prosecutor's office that this this case landed in? I mean, that that right there automatically kind yeah. of uh, sounds suspicious. Uh, so whenever there's, you know, uh, a violent or any offense within a certain jurisdiction or judicial circuit, as we call it, in the state of Georgia, that judicial circuit takes on the prosecution of the case, unless there is a, a conflict. And conflicts don't have to be defined. It just needs to be submitted as such to the attorney general. And the attorney general will choose what office gets contacted to handle it. Um, that was done with the initial prosecutor. However, it was done late, which is why you see some of the issues you're seeing right now. Mm -hmm. And she transferred it herself rather than going through the AG's office to a neighboring DA who ultimately recused because of um, a perceived conflict and what the family um, saw as a conflict, and he ended up getting out of the case as well. So the third DA's office who was in the case did not have a conflict like we would think of one, but he represented a small judicial circuit with not as many resources. Mm. So of course, being elected in your judicial circuit, even if you get appointed a case outside of your circuit, you're responsible for um, protecting and prosecuting cases within your circuit. He did not believe that he had that resource mm. and contacted the AG's office. And that's when I was contacted about um, handling the case from there on. Mm. Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. I mean, you know, again, four, four different, you know, that, that's a hot potato. <laughs> it, it, it is certainly, but um, you know, there was so many different conversations surrounding um all the different appointments and certainly my appointment was no different. And I think there was concern um, as to why that was happening. But I can tell you just having been in the situation and knowing the people in the office where I used to serve is that we were only selected and only accepted because of the reputation that we had for handling um, high profile cases and cases that needed to be handled with transparency and in the right way. Mm -hmm. um, and making sure once it got to the courtroom that what needed to happen happened um, in a very ethical way with integrity throughout. Yeah, wow. Well, well, that, that, that speaks volumes to the office in which you serve um, and as well as your character. Um, and that that's that's pretty tremendous. So now when exactly is the the trial and, and all that, uh, you know, just so that we have a context, because I know that you 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 made uh, reference to a jury selection process beginning next month, I believe you said. Yes, jury selection does start next month and I, I don't have the exact date, but I would imagine that the trial would start start shortly after that. Um, there are still motions that the court will be ruling on in the interim, and I'm sure there'll be motions presented during jury selection. There have been questions since the very beginning about whether or not um, the case would ultimately be able to be tried in Glenn County in the Brunswick Judicial Circuit, um, which is where the crime happened, even though the prosecuting office does not come from there. Um, 
And so decisions I'm sure will be made with respect to whether they can find a fair jury in that jurisdiction and if it needs to be moved. That certainly would change the um, trajectory of trial dates and when the trial actually starts. Mm -hmm. So what would be what would be the motivators or or the the rationale for um, moving the trial again, I, I don't, I, I'm not a legal expert, but, mm-hmm. um, I'm just curious just so that our, our listeners can, can understand the point that you just made. Right. A lot of times pretrial publicity is one of the things that, um, a defense attorney usually will say why a person can't get a fair trial there. So they might try to move it out of a a TV market that didn't publicize it as much or where there wasn't as much community activity surrounding the case, um, which from the moving party, and usually it's the defendant who will say, because of the TV coverage, because of the protests that happened, you know, at the courthouse steps, we don't believe we can find um, 12 unbiased jurors to handle this case, even with admonishment from the court that you have to follow the law, not what you've heard or read before, sometimes you cannot get past that with enough people to seat a jury um, in a case. So sometimes that motion comes before jury selection starts, Mm -hmm. but also judges will um, sometimes withhold ruling until they start the selection process. And they'll go through a number of um, prospective jurors to see if in fact there are jurors out here, out there who have said, yeah, you know, I've heard about it. I know, you know, what happened in the case, but that doesn't, you know, jade me one way or the other for the defendant or for the prosecution in the case. I can listen to the facts and follow the law when the judge gives it to me, and they would be a seated juror. But the challenge is getting enough jurors to actually handle the case. So um, those are things that will probably be fluid in nature, decisions that will be made um, as jury selection is getting ready to start um, or after its initial start. Okay, okay. You know, it's, it's very difficult to 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 imagine that that there's a a part or, or or an area in the country that did not hear about this, particularly on the heels of George Floyd and and just the explosive nature of of uh, you know the media attention and uh, so right. yeah well I I I I hope they're able to to uh, find uh, whatever it is they they need to to proceed. We're going to take a break right now. Okay. You're listening to Bill Myers Inspires, and I'm here today with my special guest, Joyette Holmes Esquire. We'll be back in just a moment. Today, we are facing some of the greatest challenges of our lives, from our health to political unrest, the environment, financial uncertainty, and the nation's racial divide. Tune in every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for Bill Myers Inspires, as he and his guests take a deep dive into the issues that impact our world with an eye to exploring solutions. Emmy Award-winning actor Bill Myers is an accomplished actor, jazz musician, filmmaker, writer, educator, and speaker. As a biracial man who's both black and white, 
Bill leverages his background, talent, and voice through creativity, compassion, and connection as activism for social justice to focus on uniting the divide and compelling change. Bill Myers Inspires encourages listeners to look within themselves and take decisive action to make a positive difference. For more information, visit his website, BillMyersInspires.com, and sign in for the latest news and updates. Are you a subject matter expert? Are you here to share your expertise with an audience waiting to hear from you in only the way you can deliver? Are you ready to have your voice amplified across the airwaves? Inspired Choices Network has a global radio platform streaming to millions of people across the world. Professionally produced and supported by an accomplished team every step of the way, you can broadcast from anywhere in the world knowing your voice matters and we ensure it is delivered with ease and efficiency. Eager to hear your message, the world awaits. Contact us today to become an Inspired Choices Network radio host. Email becomeahost at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com. You're listening to Bill Myers Inspires here on the Inspired Choices Network. We're here every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Thank you for joining us. And now, let's get back to the conversation. We're back. You're listening to Bill Myers Inspires. And today we're talking about the need for transparency in the upcoming Ahmad Aubrey case with Joyette Holmes Esquire. So, so Joyette, I, I, now I think we can take a step in this other direction because I was absolutely fascinated to, you know, when I got the information about you breaking your silence on the importance of transparency. And I thought, well, now let's, let's take a look at that. And uh, you, you can only break your silence as far as you feel comfortable <laughs> breaking your right. silence, but, but you do make the point of the need for transparency. And, uh, you know, and so I believe that um, there's a reason for you making a statement such as that, which may suggest that there oftentimes is or is not uh, transparency or the, the necessary transparency in order to, to, um, to, for these cases to move forward. So I'm, so now I'm going to back up and just sort of let you, you got some explaining to do. So, (laughs) (laughs) but uh, yeah, I just want to hear about it because um, like I said, I'm fascinated by, uh, well, you know, I, I think as a having been a public servant and serving in an elected office, people want to hear what's going on in their community as it relates to the space that you're working in. Um, certainly, having served as the district attorney, that was no different. Um, transparency for me uh, usually starts with educating. You know, people talk about things that happen in the court system, arrests, um, murders that outrage, and rightly so, and how they're handled. Um, but when you're not talking from an educated framework, then it, it muddies the waters. So when I talk about transparency, I'm not talking about necessarily getting into 
you know, all the details about a particular case. Um, for instance, you know, in this case, I always felt it was important each step that we took, making sure that the public knew and understand, understood why we took those steps in the case and how that, you know, came to be and what's next. But at the same time, and especially being in the position, and even though I'm not in the position now, still wanting to make sure there's integrity in the process and that the case does not get ne negatively impacted by anything that I say or do, certainly. Right. You know, there are some things that can't be talked about. You know, throughout the process, we were able to talk about getting the case indicted. There was a preliminary hearing that was, you know, live streamed. There were other motions that were live streamed. So people were able to hear the details of the case as we submitted it to the court in real time. Mm -hmm. But as you get closer to the trial and jury selection, most importantly, there are things that may have come out in a preliminary hearing or in other motions that are ruled inadmissible at the time of trial and a jury won't hear those things during the course of the trial. So when we talk about transparency, that is very different to me than getting in the dirt and grime and sharing the tea, as we might say. Right. Um, I, I have a bigger responsibility than to do that. But I do think it's very important to educate the public on, you know, why things may be done a certain way, what the process is, what to, you know, what to look look for because there are things that are just legalese that um, don't translate in the same way when you're just talking about it in the public or when you're feeling the emotion of what happened to this young man he was murdered and he was murdered in a way that I I can't I can't even imagine you know I'm a mother of two mm. and to even think of my child you know wondering what was going through there mind when this was going on um that's that's tough um and so uh i just want to make sure that as i am have been part of the process even though i'm not practicing criminal law really anymore i'm doing corporate litigation and working um in a firm that does some of those things my passion and my speaking and the reform is still a mission of mine. And to do the mission, it, it's not, you know, tied to a position. It's what your passion is, what's in your heart. So when I talk about breaking the silence, it is to educate people about processes. And, you know, people think of an elected office as always having to be political. For me, that was a byproduct of the work that I did. There's not a decision that a prosecutor should make that's tied to politics and certainly not party politics. Um, and so I have, you could pull anything that I have done, whether it was through work or through campaigning and party politics was never part of my platform. Mm -hmm. You know, some may say, well, that's probably why you're not in office because you didn't, you know, you weren't right. more political. Right, right, right. But but my goal was to do the work and to make sure the community understand why I did the work the way I did it. <clears throat> yes, indeed. And um, 
and I, you know, I will share with you as, as my listeners have probably heard me say before, um, you know, my father was uh, on the police department for 54 years and wow. <laughs> uh, Indianapolis police department. And my younger sister is still serving in the police department. So that that's the household that I grew up in. So many yeah. of the things, of course, that's not, uh, from a lawyer perspective, but certainly the idea mm-hmm. of awareness of the law and process and uh, right. new process and all those things are very important. So I was raised that way. So <laughs> I feel you when you, when you say that. And, and also I, I'm touched by your level of, of um, commitment. It's, it, it is mm-hmm. so sincere. And, and that is, it was refreshing because oftentimes there's, there's a coldness that winds up mm-hmm. when, when we're looking at, because we're still looking at humanity. I don't really care what role title we have. We still have humanity to contend with. Um, right. In, in whatever uh, way we, we, we have to, to walk. So, so I'm very curious in, in, um, in this particular case, what were some of the, and, and this is a backtrack and hopefully I'm not stepping into um, any, any, any dirt stuff, but yet I'm, mm-hmm. I'm curious, um, because you are there and you were directly involved in this particular exchange. And, and so what were the, some of the, the, uh, whether it be misperceptions or, or things that needed to be cleaned up in these narratives or, or conflicts with the public in, in your locale, that little challenges that you had, mm-hmm. because I really do appreciate also when you said, it's important to to educate. Um, you know, I don't I I feel very strongly about that. And that's part of mm-hmm. the show. I, I really am interested not in a just sort of a, a rap session and let's just, you know, swap opinions. I am big on there being some foundation, uh, you know, a, a fact, some mm-hmm. basis of something that we can uh, can can. Uh, that can anchor our conversation. Otherwise it's just sort of like, well, I think, and I think, and I'm like, you know, I get enough of that watching television. So for me, it's very important that there are some, uh, some sort of factual understanding that we can move forward. And hopefully there'll be some takeaways from the audience to be able to understand even more and better facts, not just opinions, you know? (laughs) Right. Absolutely. So what so what sort of challenges did you face early on in bringing this case, perhaps with the with the community and that sort of thing? Because we're not in Georgia. And so we only right. see it from the national news, which has got several filters before it gets to us. Right. So I, I think some of the misconceptions and they weren't really local, but of course, this was a worldwide news story. Absolutely. Um, and so it, it came from all over. I think there was a concern, no, not I think, I know that there was a concern that because I was appointed um, to my office by a Republican governor, that the attorney general who appointed me was Republican, and I served in office as a Republican, that there was, that it was a setup, that Mm -hmm. I was only put in that place because I was loyal, but because I looked like Ahmaud Aubrey. And when I tell you that is further, it couldn't be further from the truth. Um, It was really maddening to see uh, people post 
those things. There'd be articles where the headline was, you know, Republican DA appointed to a Maude Aubrey case. And then people ran from there to say what that meant to them. And often it wasn't um, kind, you know, the comments, um, she might be skin folk, but she ain't kin folk. Uh, just different things. And so it was a setup for the case not to be successful. And, you know, again, people locally knew who I was and certainly knew the reputation of the Cobb County District Attorney's Office. <clears throat> Excuse me. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there would always be this you don't know her, you don't know that office, you don't know what you're talking about. This could not have gone to a better office to make sure that justice was had for Ahmaud Aubrey and that family. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, those were some of the challenges that you had. Certainly security was an issue for all of us working the case as well as our, our families. Uh, and so that was something to contend with. Now, um, hold it right there, because I'm, I'm, I'm curious. I want to peel that back just a little bit. So security, pro, con, which side? I mean, I'm, I'm very curious about that. Right. So probably more, I got more from the side that was supportive of the Ahmaud Aubrey family. It was, you know, if this case doesn't turn out the way and I say supporters, not necessarily true supporters of their family, but people who were outraged as they should be, but, you know, who may give threats if this case doesn't, if there's not a guilty finding, if there's no death penalty after a guilty finding, you know, then the threats come and they came at all different levels. I won't get into the details about those threats. Sure. Um, but. So it was it was mostly that I'm sure there was a lot from the other side as well, but it didn't get to me in the same same way that the others. And I say get to me, I mean, like physically get to me, not um, mentally or emotionally uh -huh. um, in the same way. But it was unfortunate. It was disheartening um, to see that stuff. And I'm appreciative of the public support of the cause, of the public support of what's right. And, you know, so many times we've seen wrong happen in situations that it shouldn't, that it seems very clear that a person should have been held responsible for something. So I get that, mm -hmm. but needed some understanding that we were going to do it the right way. And the right way did not mean um, prosecuting it in the public or making decisions just because the public said we need to make those decisions. Mm -hmm. Because ultimately as the district attorney, I could not take a case into a courtroom that I didn't believe I could get a guilty finding from a jury. And that took the work of the investigators, the work of the legal research and how it was gonna be presented in the courtroom and then ultimately to a jury. Okay. Yeah, that's very interesting. Well, we are we are coming up on another break at this time. Uh, you are listening to Bill Myers Inspires, and today I am here with former Cobb County uh, District Attorney Joyette Holmes, and we'll be back in just a moment. Today, we are facing some of the greatest challenges of our lives, from our health to political unrest, 
the environment, financial uncertainty, and the nation's racial divide. Tune in every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for Bill Myers Inspires as he and his guests take a deep dive into the issues that impact our world with an eye to exploring solutions. Emmy Award-winning actor Bill Myers is an accomplished actor, jazz musician, filmmaker, writer, educator, and speaker. As a biracial man who's both black and white, Bill leverages his background, talent, and voice through creativity, compassion, and connection as activism for social justice to focus on uniting the divide and compelling change. Bill Myers Inspires encourages listeners to look within themselves and take decisive action to make a positive difference. For more information, visit his website, BillMyersInspires.com, and sign in for the latest news and updates. How wonderful would it be to carry your favorite Inspired Choices Network host with you throughout your day? Well, now you can. Inspired Choices Network now has its very own mobile app. Our free app offers live streaming shows, along with thousands of podcasts and TV episodes. Our shows cover a wide variety of topics. Whether you're waking up with us, carrying us through the day, and taking us to bed with you, we're always here for you to enjoy. We're easy to find. Just search for Inspired Choices Network in the Apple App Store or Google Play Store. You're listening to Bill Myers Inspires here on the Inspired Choices Network. We're here every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Thank you for joining us. And now, let's get back to the conversation. We are back. You're listening to Bill Myers Inspires, and today I'm here with my guest, Joyette Holmes Esquire. And Joyette, I, I, now, you know, this show, you just heard in the description, uh, this show actually came about when, you know, not long after the George Floyd incident. And I, I just couldn't take it anymore in the midst of pandemic and being locked down. And and all I, all I kept feeling was that I need to get into this conversation on race in America. Um, I was so compelled to do that. I'm biracial myself, as you heard in the thing. Yes. So, you know, so I was exposed <laughs> to things in the house before I before, before I ever walked outside. Right. A whole other dimension, you know. And so, but but as you were just talking about the challenges and, and some of the challenge points that came to you, uh, you 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 said three things and I just want to go after each one of those because I, I do come from a, a, a very deeply rooted Republican family. I, I, I'm independent myself and, and have mm-hmm. issues with the current narrative uh, <laughs> deeply, but I do, that is my family and my history. And so, okay. but these things, as you have gone through your career mm-hmm. being Black, being a woman, being Republican. I just really wanted to 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 isolate those things as I learned more about you and obviously mm-hmm. your um, 
ability to navigate whether any of the, you know any of these things could trip could trip you clean up. I mean, any one of these <laughs> right. things could be the thing that just does you in. But the fact right. that you have the trifecta here, I mean, and and, and so I'm fascinated about about you and how you have have managed to uh, persevere and 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 carry on uh, with these challenges. You can break into each one of them if you like, but mm-hmm. I'm just very curious because. Uh, you know, it, I, I think it's really important that we understand uh, as as much as we can about one's character uh, right. and, and how that is and how these things may factor in um, to that as we move forward. So. Yeah. It. So, you know, I guess talking first just about being a black female, my um, parents were very proud of who they are, you know, who they are. My dad has since passed, but he's, you know, black male, born and raised in Tallahassee, Florida. Um, his family are very involved at Florida A&M University, so HBCU background before mm. going into the service. My mom's West Indian, um, born in Dominica. And so, you know, very proud of their heritage and definitely instilled that in me. You know, I had a lot of insecurities growing up. Some of those were related to um, being a Black female and just the things that you um, come across. My mom was very, not was, is very proper, even though English was the language in Dominica, but they spoke a broken um, English and French, Patois. Mm -hmm. But her father would not let them speak slang in the house. So similarly, she raised me that way. And so when I spoke in certain um, settings, I would be accused of trying to be white or trying to be something that I wasn't. Um, And so, you know, I I kind of grew up with that split, not quite fitting in here, definitely not fitting in there. Um, So it those challenges helped me to know that I had to be comfortable in any space because at any time I could be criticized, you know, for being a black female and likewise for being a black female who spoke properly and who cared, you know, Mm -hmm. um, just about honestly how I was perceived in any room that I went into. And that sometimes can be harder than not caring, quite frankly. Um, But they were servants and they served outside of their professions. And so there was no choice for me not to serve. I just had to figure out where that service was going to be. And I chose it to be in the law. And I'm grateful that I got to a point in my career that people were willing to see beyond what had not been, you know, there had never been a a woman serve as chief magistrate judge or DA. There had never been a black person to serve as chief magistrate or DA. So I'm grateful that the work um, showed above and beyond what people and what I even thought would have been a barrier for me. Mm -hmm. But, but that's something that I take pride in because I have two beautiful Black 
females that I am raising, teenagers. And if they can look at what I've been able to accomplish along with their friends and the people who I, you know, interact with every day and know that even if a space where you want to operate and serve does not have anyone that looks like you that was, you know, educated or not educated in the way that you were, that there's a place for you, that there's a seat at the table, you just have to continue to push for it and sometimes pull for it and sometimes kick in doors and get cut by the glass that breaks um, from the ceiling. But you have to do it. And so, you know, being a black female, those were kind of the challenges. Being a Republican was a whole different other thing. Because, you know, had I not served in offices where you had to declare a party, most people would have never known, you know, one way or the other, how I most closely associated on a personal level, Mm -hmm. you know, not publicly, not in the work that I did, because the work that I did crosses all barriers. And I didn't think that it should matter. I still don't think that it should matter. But it's the world we live in. I understand that. Um, But quite frankly, it did not matter to a lot of people until 2020. And I know that, you know, you talked about not being happy with the narrative as it is right now. Um, And certainly not having been happy with who was serving as, as the leader of our country. I understand that people were ready for a change. It's just unfortunate that people weren't willing to separate local politics with what was going on um, in the national political landscape uh, to make decisions based on the person and the service as opposed to their favorite letter of the alphabet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you make a great point. You know, I'm, you know, I am inspired by you and your your walk and your articulation, because in the midst of, you know, all the various challenges, you know, we, we must continue to persevere. And I think that that is so, that is so important. And we continue to face challenges and we will till the very end. I mean, right. like challenges don't, don't meet us. Um, I was having a discussion with a young man who is going to be taking over as the music director at my church. And and Mm -hmm. I was having a conversation with him because there was this quality, this really wonderful open quality that, that got him tapped to become Mm -hmm. the next music director. And then there were two opportunities here recently where he, excuse me, uh, performed at the church and they were uncharacteristic. Uh, they were something else. And I I had a conversation with him a couple of days ago. And I just said, you know, I know you stepping in, you know, starting in, you know, a a couple of months or so as as the head of this. And this church has a very, very significant legacy, particularly in the music department. Uh, Some of the biggest leaders of of music and, and high school music teachers and orchestra teachers that taught legendary musicians um, uh, were members there and, and that sort of thing. And I just said to him, I said, you know, don't, don't try to be something you're not. Don't try to be because why you were selected was because of exactly who you are. Right. And, um, 
And then I was reminded, you know, of something that I struggled with and, and learned maybe 10 years ago uh, as I struggled with something very similar. And I, I said to him, you are enough. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Enough. In fact, that's all you got. And so, mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, I believe that you serve a purpose. And so don't, don't get me wrong. I mean, you'll continue to evolve and you'll continue to take on new things and learn things as long as you stay open. But the minute you step out, you lose your yes. power because I don't know who you are and you don't know who <laughs> you are and you're walking in somebody else's shoes hobbling. So, you know, just be you because you're beautiful that way, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and uh, so he, he heard, he heard me, but what you were saying just brought me right back to that same idea that our power is in yeah. the trusting that we're in whatever space we're in. That's where we're supposed to be. Right. If you look around and you don't see anybody that looks like you, that's occupying that space. That's because you're, you're the one. Yeah. <laughs> it's so true. Um, and, and I think we have to see that opportunity, not just for ourselves, but for that next generation to make sure that you, you know, in my situation, being the first um, black female, not being the last. Right. And that when, you know, when that right person should be in that space, that they are in that space and for all the right reasons. That's so awesome. That's so awesome. Well, we're going to take another break right now. You're listening to Bill Myers Inspires, and I am inspired by my guest today, Joyette Holmes Esquire. We'll be back in just a moment. Thank you. Today, we are facing some of the greatest challenges of our lives, from our health to political unrest, the environment, financial uncertainty, and the nation's racial divide. Tune in every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for Bill Myers Inspires as he and his guests take a deep dive into the issues that impact our world with an eye to exploring solutions. Emmy Award-winning actor Bill Myers is an accomplished actor, jazz musician, filmmaker, writer, educator, and speaker. As a biracial man who's both black and white, Bill leverages his background, talent, and voice through creativity, compassion, and connection as activism for social justice to focus on uniting the divide and compelling change. Bill Myers Inspires encourages listeners to look within themselves and take decisive action to make a positive difference. For more information, visit his website, BillMyersInspires.com, and sign in for the latest news and updates. You're listening to Bill Myers Inspires. Here on the Inspired Choices Network. We're here every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Thank you for joining us. And now, let's get back to the conversation. We are back. Uh, you're listening to Bill Myers Inspires with my guest today, Joyette Holmes Esquire. And so... Tell me a little bit about where, what your path is now. You sort of touched on it and you said you're working in the corporate ranks now. And um, so I just am curious and I think I want our listeners to have a good idea of 
how you're showing up today. Absolutely. So I'm a partner at Gregory Goel Calhoun and Rogers, which is a um, law firm in Georgia, but serves clients worldwide in um, corporate stuff. So whether it's your vision all the way through mergers, acquisitions, and succession planning, we work through that. We have government clients and also school board clients. So we do a lot um, for our for the people in our community that we serve as clients. Uh, I do also still work with Project Restore 360. We're in a retooling process and I can't wait to relaunch what that was. I um, started this umbrella project when I was district attorney, um, recognizing that public safety is a whole community issue and that in order to make sure that public safety remains a priority, we have to make sure that we are creating solutions before, during, and after somebody being court involved. Because 90 plus percent of people who are court involved don't stay in prison, don't stay in any place where they're not being productive. And so if we don't provide opportunities for those who, you know, have yes, maybe made some poor choices, but who are gonna be back out in community to get housing, education, and employment, then we're in that same recidivism cycle. We're not being um, productive community members. It takes our churches, it takes our chambers of commerce, you know, of course our law enforcement community, but the misconception that people have is that it can only be cured within the walls of the courthouse. And that's not at all the case. So with Project Restore 360, we did records restriction events to help um, people who had been arrested but never adjudicated or who completed a program to get that restricted from their record because of course that is a barrier to employment and to housing and also have on the spot jobs for people. So over two dozen employers were there resources for rehab, financing for down payments on homes and rental assistance. So it was, um, that project has just worked to be a 360 degree partner to the community working through criminal justice reform. And, you know, while I'm not a prosecutor anymore, I'm not practicing in the criminal courts um, very much. I am still very passionate in the work for criminal justice reform and just getting more justice centered um, prosecution sentences and, you know, reformation afterwards. You know, that's, um, yeah, there's, there, there's a, there's a couple of things I, that I, I want to, to follow up with you on uh, outside of the show, because you just, you said a couple of things. I am a firm believer that things happen for a reason. Mm-hmm. And early this week I was contacted and I, I think it was a result of me of, of them seeing that you were going to be my guest on the show. And mm-hmm. so I, I, I wrestled with whether I would introduce this during the show or not, but it, it's something I won't go into greater depth, but I will let you know that this individual contacted me and was letting me know about uh, a, a, a mother mm-hmm. who lost her son, who was in, had uh, was in the Georgia federal prison system 
And she just described, I spoke with the mother. And again, uh, I was not going to bring the mom onto the show or so, you know, because I don't know what, what, you know, again, the factual pieces and all that sort of thing. But she, she did uh, speak to me and, and ran her story. And, and ironically, in this same week, the news broke of the attorney general's office looking into, is it the, the federal, is it the Georgia prison system or is it the federal prisons in Georgia? Because it, it sounded like it was an overlap to what this woman was telling me, you know. Yeah, there, I mean, there are two different systems. The Georgia Department of Corrections houses for um, those convicted of uh, state law violations as opposed to the federal prisons. And there's a federal prison in the state of Georgia as well for federally committed offenses. Okay, so whatever this prison was, was recent, was closed or shut down here in somewhat okay. recent time. Uh, again, I don't I don't recall the name, okay. but. But I do want to to um, with with your permission, I, I do okay. want to follow up with you and and share some information that because you seem to be passionate. And all I wanted to do was if there is a way that this if, if there is something that and someone that she can speak to mm-hmm. or that you can refer, that would be tremendously helpful. This woman, I mean, I could I could hear it in her voice. And again, I can't. I'm not a lawyer or anything else, mm-hmm. nor am I an investigative reporter or any of that. I, but I did let her know that I would do whatever I could to to uh, connect the dots for her and see to it that she could, you know, if if that was something that you would right. assist me so, with, it'd be awesome. So I can um, drop in the chat the email address for Project Restore 360, and if she wants to send me some correspondence about what's going on. It may not be something, I don't know if it's what I can help with, but certainly we'll have the resources to connect her with someone. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. That's the main thing is that it, it finds a place to, to, to go. Cause I don't, I don't want her to feel like she's not being heard and right. Be some, you know, her, her boy's gone. So I just, their answers. Right. Absolutely. And I don't know if I'm able to actually put anything in the chat. So if you want me just to say the email address, I can do that. Uh, You can. Okay. And it's Joyette, uh J-O-Y-E-T-T-E, at projectrestore360.com. Okay. Got it. Joyette, it has been a pleasure having you here today. We're going to get off this show right now, but I thank you so very much for uh, being here today. Well, thank you. I'm not sure what happened with my camera. Thank so you for spending your afternoon right here with us Bill Myers Inspires. Remember, we're here every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the Inspired Choices Network. Remember to take time this week to take a breath and look within yourself and figure out how you can make a positive difference in this world. Spread the word and we'll see you here next Friday. Have a wonderful week.